Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we share our weekly messages, and from time to time, you'll see some other things as well. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can contact us, visit bcwc.org. This is our fourth and final week of our sermon series that's focused on our church's core values. These values are the touchstones we use to guide our decision-making and to inform our ministry practices. And today, as Jim mentioned, uh, we focus on Christ-like living or Christ-centered living. When Pastor Evan and I were discussing these values, we felt that this was a fitting one to end on because the other three are encompassed by it, are included within it. To live with Christ as our center, we extend unbiased hospitality through responsive service in an authentic community. It's like they go together because they go together. I remain thankful for the prayerful work that was done years ago by leaders within our congregation to articulate these values in such a thoughtful and compelling way, to paint this vivid picture of what our congregation is all about. I'm especially glad that they included Christ-centered living because it articulates something so essential, not for just our congregation's purpose, but for the church universal, the church worldwide, the entire church. It's our, our main message. Our main message is that God's love is made known to us in Jesus Christ. This is the primary message of our faith. It's the reason that we gather, and it's the story that changes everything. I even like the phrasing, so we'll just dig into that too. I like it for at least two reasons. One, implicit in the wording of Christ-centered living, there are alternative choices for what we might center in our lives. We might engage in self-centered living, or we might center our work, or our loved ones, or our country, or many other things that could be worthy of our time and love and care. But those aren't things that belong in the absolute center. Naming Christ as the center of our lives helps us to make sense of how we decide things, big and small, because of all of these competing and compelling and at times very worthy potential focal points. We keep Christ at the center of our lives because it is in Christ, according to Acts 17, it's in Christ in whom we live and move and have our being. The realest of loves and the most significant of meanings pale in comparison to the love of Jesus and what that love means for us. The second reason I like this phrasing is that it emphasizes our faith is about living, Christ-centered living. It's something we do. When I was growing up, I had the church worldwide, it felt like, influencing me in different ways, but a big message I kept receiving is that church was about believing. Believing. And it, it is about believing. And I was insistent that I could understand these beliefs, that I could think through them critically and challenge them when I didn't understand them or felt um, like they could be discussed differently. I wanted to be able to explain them to others. And all of that matters. But if taken seriously, 
Christian faith is more than praying a prayer and getting some afterlife insurance just in case. Christianity is about transforming our lives right now. The one that you're living, that's what Christianity is about too. Our passage of scripture that helps me understand this a bit more, how we might live out our faith, our Christian faith, is Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. You heard Jim Layton share a little bit about this in our children's message today. Uh, Let's take a minute to take a step back and contextualize this passage. Where is it coming from? So if we, we go to our Bibles, our mental picture of a Bible, I think, should be a library, a beautiful library of all these different books. And we go to read scripture, we're taking one of those books off the shelf. In each of those books, we read a bit differently, right? So we take off Romans. And in Romans, it's written by the Apostle Paul. An apostle is someone who followed Jesus. At first, Jesus had 12 apostles or disciples. But later, Paul becomes this apostle too. This was a big deal because Paul did not like the previous apostles. He did not like people who were following Jesus. He was persecuting them. And so he wrote this letter to the Romans from a place of total transformation. And it's the longest letter included in the Bible from Paul. And so, uh, and it's written to this church in Rome, hence Romans. In the letter, Paul communicates what he understands about this good news that transformed his life. And he unpacks what that means about how we should live because of this incredible news. So to catch up, there are 11 chapters that precede chapter 12, and they're essentially about how God's love, how Jesus' saving grace is made available to, yes, the Jews, of which Jesus was a Jew, but the Gentiles as well. It's opening up the door. I had a teacher who used to say, if life cracks a door for you, kick it open. That's what Jesus does. He kicks open this this door that was cracked, and he makes available to, to all this incredible saving grace. And so in chapter 12, we're then pivoting to think, okay, in light of that, in light of that open invitation, what should our lives be like? And here's what he says to start. We'll pick up in uh, verse 1 here. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, therefore, in light of all of that, Brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. In this first verse, Paul is reminding us that our our lives, if worshipful, are embodied. They are practice-oriented, and they are entirely centered around Jesus Christ. If we make this decision to follow Jesus and place Jesus at the center of our lives, Jesus wants all of it. Our full selves belong to God. We're called to worship God with all that we have. This kind of worship requires focused attention and thoughtful reflection and leads to total transformation. And that's what Paul talks about next in the second verse. Paul writes... Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable 
imperfect. When Paul wrote this verse, verse 2, writing that we should not be conformed to this age, he hadn't yet encountered the mess that is the digital age. In the digital age in which we live, conformity is currency. Hop on this trend. Get on this platform. Build your personal brand. You're a commodity after all. Don't you know that you're missing out? You can't skip a day on some social media platforms because you'll miss those stories that are gone within 24 hours. So stay engaged. Stay connected. And if you're going to venture away, well, you're just conforming to the nonconformists. So aren't you conforming anyway? Lord, help us. I think that this transformation is sounding better and better to me. The idea of transformation is key to how understands Christ-centered living. There's a philosopher, um, Professor Lori Paul. She writes about transformative experiences. Some of those include religious conversions, and, and, um, and there, there are others too, but regardless of how these experiences take shape that transform us, she says that nothing about your current self is going to prepare you for what it will be like to be a different self. Nothing about your current self can prepare you for what it is like to be a different self. To unpack this a bit more, transformative experiences like Paul's conversion from Saul to Paul, from persecuting Christians to worshiping Christ and helping others to do the same. There are other transformative experiences, becoming a parent or facing an illness or losing a loved one. Some of these we don't choose. And even the ones that we do choose, we have no idea what's going to happen after we make that decision. And even once that decision is made, we can't reasonably evaluate it because we're an entirely different person now. We have fundamentally changed because of this experience. This lens that we're given is infused onto us. I think about that when uh, our brothers and sisters, our siblings, make commitments at baptism. You have no idea what's left, what's left ahead for you, but you trust that it will be good. This philosophical idea of transformative experiences, it teaches us that being transformed by Christ, which is part of our, our mission statement, by the way, being transformed by Christ, by building positive connections in a diverse community. This transformation means that when we take that leap of faith, it shifts our priorities, it alters our behavior, it fundamentally changes who we are. Claiming Jesus Christ as our Lord changes us forever. And this is true whether you claim Christian identity through some kind of lightning bolt, love at first sight, everything is new now experience, or if it's the slow simmer fade that's gradual but certain falling in love. Regardless of how we claimed that identity, we now see things anew. We look into the mirror and we see God's beloved. And then we do that, not in vanity, but with clarity and humility and certainty that that's how God sees other people too. That mirror is also our glasses in which we see the world. We hold up that mirror so others might see themselves that way too, that they too are beloved and fearfully and wonderfully made. And then we treat them that way too. 
We allow them to see themselves. We, we pray that we could see ourselves as God sees us. Last week, Pastor Evan invited us to, to see one another. Paul explains it this way in, in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think, about, to, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And all of this is in community, so Paul keeps writing. For as in one body we have many members, and not all members have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ. And individually, we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry and ministering, the teacher and teaching, the encourager and encouragement, the giver in sincerity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Paul says that we belong to God, and that means that we belong to one another too. And Christ is what holds us together. Each of us has been gifted by God. My dad told me that in early age, all of us have a gift. Every single person, if you've seen the movie Encanto, which we've seen a hundred times, everyone has a special gift in this kid's, kid's movie. Um, but the truth of the matter is that all of us have been given gifts by God. And those gifts are best used in service to God's kingdom. This is reminiscent of what is written in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, which says, And whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love that verse. I've always loved it. I've loved it since I was a little kid, and I visited some random church, and I don't even know the name anymore, and some Sunday school teacher who I can't even picture anymore gave me a gift of God's truth and said that whatever I did, I could do for the glory of God. We don't always know how people give us these gifts of truth and we don't know where they'll take them, but I've carried this one with me for 20 years because at that time of my life, I was getting this question a lot. What do you want to be when you grew up? When you grow up, what do you want to be? And they'd always say, you can pick anything. Whatever you want to do, you can be anything as if it was all the same to them. But you knew, even as a kid, that some answers were more socially acceptable than others. <laughs> so when I said I was going to be a paleontologist, I got better uh, feedback than when I told them I wanted to be a Muppet, <laughs> which is a shame because I could have been a great Muppet. I don't think I would have been a good paleontologist. <laughs> But this Sunday school teacher didn't ask that question, and she like, prided herself on not asking that question. I was surprised. She came out with it right away. A lot of people ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? That's not important to me right now. She assumed that we could serve God then, already, as we were covered in something sticky or whatever, as kids always are, just silly that she thought that God could use us at that time. We weren't preparing for some special path that someday we would get on and we would get it right and we would know the rules and we would belong to the community then. We already belonged, and that's what she told us. We were already on the path, and Jesus was beside us even then. 
We could worship God, she said, while we were at school or doing chores or waiting for the bus. We could worship God with our entire little lives. And my eyes went wide thinking about this, how my life at that point mattered to God. It mattered to God even then. And not because of what adults in my life wanted to validate or support, not because of what kids thought was cool or or fun, but because Jesus was worth my entire life. And she taught me that. So we pause and we sit with this question, how should we live in light of who Jesus is? How does one live in a Christ-centered way? Well, it helps to listen to Jesus. So let's look at some of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus was being questioned as he often was and he always gave some questions back too. But at this point in 22, he was talking to the Pharisees and they asked him, what is the most important commandment? And in verse 37... Jesus responds, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Love God with all that you have. And the second is like it, said Jesus. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. Hold up that mirror to you and to them. On these two commandments, Jesus said, hangs all the law and the prophets. This is the essence of Christ-centered living. Jesus tells us, love God and love others. And if Christ is our center, then these commandments can create within us new instincts, new default postures, new patterns of behavior and perspectives on the world. That's what our life is about. Loving God, loving others. If the rest gets confusing and messy and disordered, because it will, we can come back to that. Love God, love others. But those things are rich with meaning. And so people, theologians, pastors, Jesus followers of all kinds have spent centuries motivated by trying to deepen their understanding of these two commitments. Paul was one of the first to do this. And in uh, thinking about loving God and loving others, Paul gives uh, one, uh, points us toward one reality of how we might do that. And Paul says we have to be genuine. We have to be genuine in that love. If we really love, if it's true, if it's genuine, then we'll do certain things. There's uh, a song that was, um, you might know it. It was, uh, I think, Betty Everett. I have written down here. Mary Clinton, uh, Ramona King. There are two people named Linda. Cher sings it. Uh, It goes, if you want to know if he loves you so. Do you know this? Anyone? It's in his kiss. Okay, yeah. So they're trying to, even the artists, the singers are thinking about genuine love. Um, Paul isn't as uh, musical as that, so Paul says it this way. Um, If you want to live with genuine love, if the Christian genuinely loves their neighbor, then they hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, Be patient in affliction and persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and pursue hospitality to strangers. Paul was never concise enough to write a pop hit, but um, Paul gives us a hint at some really important things that we can and should do with Christ as our center. And in fact, all those things I just mentioned, we kind of like to do. 
We, we can even see joy in some of those things. But it's a lot harder, like Jim mentioned earlier, if people are mean, if people hurt us, if people uh, are downright hateful and terrible, because sometimes they are, or annoying. Here's where that transformation part starts to feel less shiny, doesn't it? I often think about God's grace as something that sounds beautiful, but it is annoying. It is like a long-haired chihuahua or, or something. I'll work on the metaphors, but you get my point. It's beautiful. It's annoying. That's God's grace. We have been saved by God's incredible mercy, but that mercy leads us to some difficult tasks. Paul goes on to say, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. I think he writes that because we go, bless. He's like, yes, bless and do not curse them. But sometimes we want to curse them, don't we? Sometimes we don't want to want to curse them, but we still want to curse them. We're so much better at loving people in general, like theoretical people. But then those people right in front of us, sometimes they can just challenge us. Not everyone. Some people inspire us to love, encourage us to love. We feel their love when we're with them. But sometimes it's not that easy. God, though, is patient. And this Christ-centered living thing is meant to be done in community. That's why it's helpful when our siblings in Christ, like Jim Layton, tell us that we should rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another Do not be arrogant, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance will be mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I think Carrie Underwood says, Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) One of my limitations (laughs) to being ardent in spirit growing up was that I always loved to get the last word in. I'm still working on that. But I trust that I'm not alone in wanting to have the final say or win the argument. But as one of my teachers taught me, any argument won is an argument lost. So we have to trust that God's plan is better than our comeback. Paul says it this way in verse 20. Instead, oh, this gets me. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. Don't just ignore them. (laughs) Help them actively. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink, for by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Okay, so Paul, I think, is still working on the transformation part too. (laughs) But Paul keeps going. And maybe gets on track and says, do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Some days it can feel like evil is winning. But our faith reminds us that we are part of the story in which good will overcome. We get through this long list of things now that we're supposed to do, right, with Christ-centered living. And that sounds really hard for someone like me who loses their wallet every other day. But here's the good news. Paul assumes 
Jesus knows that we will absolutely get it wrong. We will get it wrong all the time. And that is good news. Because when we're off kilter, when we feel unstable, when we feel like things are just kind of off or not quite right, there is a way to find your footing again. We continually return to the center. That center even pulls us back in, helps us, steadies us, like a friend who keeps the group connected or a loved one who reminds you who you are when you've forgotten. Jesus keeps pulling us back in. I got you. When I was talking with Pastor Evan about this, he described it beautifully. He he said it's like the sun holding the earth in orbit. Jesus is our centripetal force. Philosophers of art even think about this. They talk about this concept of the, the center of interest in a painting, that thing that naturally commands our attention when we view a painting. It's the attention getter that's ongoing. It commands our curiosity, our mental concentration, and it's the part of the picture that we find fascinating and makes us curious. Jesus always commands our curiosity and fascination. Jesus is the center of gravity that pulls us back again and again, no matter how many times we drift away. We mentioned that there are other things that we could place in the center of our lives, ourselves, our culture. We can imagine more. But as Rachel Held Evans, a a, a Christian author, wrote, Jesus invites us into a story that is bigger than ourselves, bigger than our culture, bigger even than our imaginations. And yet we get to tell that story with scandalous particularity of our own particular moment and place in time. We are storytelling creatures because we are fashioned in the image of a storytelling God. May we never neglect the gift of that. So this story of Jesus Christ is the one we return to again and again and again. It's the one that despite everything, allows us to find new mercies each day. It is an ancient story that gives us new mercies every single day. But it sometimes takes practice to tell it, to hear it, to believe it. And so this good news again is that though Christianity is about about belief, it's also about living. It's about practicing our practices These Christian practices, this list that we named, they take practice. And we keep having chances to get it right. Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith and will be with us every step of the way. So today, or this week, may we hate what is evil. May we hold fast to what is good. Love from the center of who we are. Run for dear life from evil and hold on to dear life to what is good. Let us be good friends who love deeply. Let's practice playing second fiddle. Let's keep ourselves fueled and aflame. Let's pray harder if we're in hard times and help those in need. Let's be inventive or creative in our hospitality. Let's bless our enemies and laugh with our friends when they're happy, and cry with them when they're sad. 
Let's do our best to get along with each other, not hitting back, discovering beauty in everyone. Let's not insist on getting even. That's not for us to do anyway. If you see your enemy and they're hungry, buy them some lunch. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. In other words, go and live with Christ as your center. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or are looking for ways that you can support God's work at this church, visit bcwc.org. And as you go, through whatever your day may throw at you, I want to share this blessing with you. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness, protect you in the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go and be the church.